0: Hey, this is Brent Leary, and it's a new week, although sometimes it feels like the same week and the same day over and over, but this is definitely a new week because this is the first time in about four, almost five years, I think, since I had an opportunity to speak to my buddy Darmesh Shah, who is the co-founder and chief technology officer for HubSpot. Darmesh, thank you for joining me, man. I really appreciate this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Because I know that you really don't like doing this kind of stuff (laughs) because you are an introvert. And I consider myself to be an introvert, but you're like an introvert on a whole other level. So I really appreciate you doing this for me.
1: No problem at all. Yeah, i like to joke that, uh, you know, we have this whole social distancing thing. And I've been training for this my entire life, right? This is not...
0: So the other thing I really enjoy about talking with you and you're, you're up in Boston, you're a Boston guy, but you're not a sports dude. You're not like your partner, uh, Halligan, who, you know, Red Sox, Patriots. I just, you know, I, so I really appreciate talking to you. <laughs> well,
1: neutrality is what you're saying that, yeah, we can still be friends.
0: <laughs> All right. So before we get going, cause, uh, there's so many things I'd love to talk to you about. We got limited time, but before we get going, I, I just had to share this picture because we kind of go back a ways. Um, and this picture kind of illustrates just how far back we go. I mean, that's, you know, when, when that was taken, I'm going to guess around, I'll say 2007, maybe close. It was 2008. I <laughs> believe it was at the first Inbound, I think you called it the Inbound Summit back
1: then. Yeah, at the Sheraton Hotel in uh, Cambridge. Yeah,
0: that's right. I, so this is, I think, it's September two thousand eight. Now I kind of look a lot different. You, other than the beard, you look pretty much the same, man. Well, thanks. Thank you. Just uh, a little
1: bit, a little bit heavier. Uh, got the beard, and yeah, life, life goes on.
0: <laughs> I think that might have been like the last time I wore a collar on a shirt. No. Well, you know, it's been a while. Uh, so let's talk about that. I think I've met you guys. You guys officially kind of started in June of 2006. That's correct. Yep. June of 2006. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I got a, an email from Halligan July of 2006. He saw something I had written and and he was like, you know, I think we, we kind of think around the same terms when it comes to small businesses and and using this social technology stuff and social media stuff. And it just, it was, it was just that entry. And then I, he said, you know, we're working on this platform and I think you'd really be interested in it. I was like, ah, all right. I mean, I kind of <laughs> hear this. <laughs> I got to hear this a lot. Cause I'm, you know, one of those analyst guys, CRM space, but man, when I, when I saw it, I was like, these guys are onto something. And now mm-hmm. we're talking like 14 years later, man, Has has it gone by, Fast has it gone by slow? How do you look back at what you guys have done when you think about 2006 and now you think about today?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's gone by, I guess, I'll use a couple of adjectives. One is relatively, I'll say, smoothly. You know, you have the ups and downs of any startup, um, that's just the way it is. But I think of HubSpot almost in like multiple chapters, like chapter one of our life. Uh, was when we were a marketing software company, and that's what we did, and that's what we were known for, um, and and did the whole inbound marketing thing, and kind of promoted that movement. Um, and then we were kind of in the got into the sales and CRM, so expanded out. It's like okay, it's a more kind of broader platform now. That was kind of chapter two, um, and we're kind of the tail end of chapter two, and, and like that's you know that's gone well. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride, I'll say. I've I've always thought myself because I am um, a startup guy. And so people ask me, it's like, well, Darmesh, you know, HubSpot's you know, closing in on four thousand people now. Like, how have you lasted this long? In this land? And this, and this, the honest truth, you know, HubSpot's a publicly traded company now too. Um, I'm having more fun now, and so is Brian Halligan. Uh, you know, we've we've chatted about this, and it's like, okay, well, why is that? How can we be as startup guys uh, be having more fun now than we were back in the kind of early years? And the simple answer is that um, we kind of get to. Set the grownups' table to some degree. Now we get to put down bets, and it's like, okay, we have this idea or this vision, we can actually do things uh, and mobilize ideas, and we and we can bet on longer term things. So it's nice not to have to. I mean, of course, you're always kind of worried about capital and things like that, but it's nice to have some of the early, formative growth years behind us and be able to do kind of bigger things. Um, so anyway,
0: do you is there anything that you miss about the early days that? You're like, yeah. I wish we could still do that kind of thing, particularly when it comes to entrepreneurship and and kind of being a, a startup business.
1: Yeah, no, I mean startups are awesome. I love, and uh, I think I'm a startup person at my core. What I what I love about startups is there's this um, this constant un- underdog mentality, right? It's like, okay, well, and you're you know not sure you're going to see next week or next month or the company's going to still be around, and it's this uh, roller coaster ride, which is um, a lot of fun. There's just so much uncertainty. Uh, and then the energy often in that early team is like, these are all kind of people with a person, you know, not that we don't have a purpose and a mission now we do, but when it's like, you know, three people in a house plant, uh, it's just, a different <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I recommend both. I recommend the, the startups uh, to those that are sitting, uh, you know, considering it, I think it's a, it's an awesome thing to uh, do in your life, but, uh, scale-ups are fun too.
0: So in the beginning it was you and Halligan, there's two guys. You just mentioned, you know, we're 14 years into the, to the journey, the HubSpot journey. Now there's closing in on 4,000. How has your relationship changed with Halgen, from when it was just the two of you to now it's you're a publicly traded company. You've got almost 4,000 employees, but you guys are still together. Talk about how the relationship has uh, kind of evolved over time and how you've been able to be successful and stay together. Because a lot of these folks that start businesses over that amount of time, they're long gone. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's
1: interesting. I think I attribute you know the modest success HubSpot's had so far to the fact that uh, Brian and I get along so well, and it's always been the case uh, from you know year one. In fact, I wasn't really supposed to start a company. I promised my wife um, that I was not going to start another company after I kind of sold my uh, my first one, mm-hmm. and in the, you know, part of the motivation was the fact that Brian and I got along so well. We had a shared passion for for small business. We wanted to do a, a software company together. Um, and I think what's made it last, it's like any other relationship I and mean, you have to think about it that way, it's a relationship. Um, there has to be uh, mutual respect, if not admiration. Uh, there has to be kind of a, a sense of kind of shared understanding and shared purpose, uh, which we've always had from the, you know, the early days. Um, and then we had a lot of the, I think this has helped. Um, and I recommend this to uh, co-founders and in, in kind of uh, in the early stages of a startup is to have the difficult conversations early, right? It's like, okay, well, what if someone comes along and offers us $50 million or $100 million and wants to acquire the company? What if one of us wants to leave the company because we're no longer, like, what do we do in these situations? How do decisions get made? How does this work? Um, And we have that in, like, week one, right, of, like, all the things. And, uh, And the reason we started the company is there was overlap. It's like we both had had some success in our past, but we had, like, a uh, a bit of a chip on our shoulder that we had something left to prove we want one more step up to bat so to speak and even though i'm not a sports guy i'll, I'll use this sports metaphor <laughs> uh, but the relationship hasn't really evolved like the way we run the company now is very much the way we ran the company uh in in year one it's that um, we kind of understand each other's kind of strengths and weaknesses um we have complementary backgrounds so we have shared values but divergent backgrounds and i think that's helpful uh he's kind of a sales and marketing guy i'm a tech guy um so that's helped. It's been, um, yeah, but I think the number one thing is, so the number one thing is mutual respect and admiration. Number two thing, maybe, maybe even number one thing is you have to enjoy spending time with that person. And as simple as that sounds, if that's not the case, if you're just doing it for the money or doing it for the success, and you just don't be like being around that other individual, the startup's not going to work. It's just more startups fail for a co-founder conflict probably than any other reason. Um,
0: very interesting, man. I, I'm sitting here, th- a look, you know, listening to you and talking about your relationship with Halligan and how he's the sales and marketing kind of guy, and you're like the technologist. You're the technologist, and, and you're you're an introvert. But you started thinking about corporate culture really early on in your development. Why don't you talk about what? When was it that you realized, man? We I, we really, really got to put some formalization around culture for our organization, and and why was it so important for you to really deep dive into that? Cause that's what you did.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, so it's a fun story.
0: So I was not supposed to
1: do culture. Uh, we hadn't really used the word culture a lot in the early years of HubSpot because we're a startup. It's like, okay, we've got product to build. We've got product to sell culture is something. Big companies deal with once they're a hundred, 500 people. Um, and then Brian went to the CEO group um, and he would meet with other CEOs in the area, some highfalutin folks whose names you'd recognize. Um, And at this particular meeting, uh, the theme was culture. And then Brian's response was very much our thinking at the time. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you folks are much further along than we are. You you know, and because they asked him, like, what are you doing on culture? And like, we're not doing anything yet. It's too early for us to really be thinking about that. And that group of CEOs really came down on him kind of hard. It's like, oh, you you don't get it, Brian. Like, culture is like the number one thing. There is there is nothing else. If you don't if you mess that up, uh, nothing else will matter. Um, So that was the kind of message he carried away. And he's like, okay, okay, listen. And then we had a founders dinner shortly thereafter. Um, he says, and he told me about this meeting. It's like, oh yeah, I had this my group meeting with the CEOs, and evidently culture is like super important. It's going to you know, determine our destiny, and it's. Um, and then this is this is a sentence I won't forget. It's like, Darmesh, why don't you go do that? And so I look at him funny. It's like, okay, like I don't know what that means. Of all the people in the company, uh, I'm the one that is like likes people the least. Why would I be the one to like <laughs> dig into culture? Um, but you know he had he was a much busier person than I was. I'm like, okay, well, how hard could this be? Where you know there was less, we were less fewer than 100 people at the time, um, and I looked at it like an engineer would look at it, which is okay. If I had to write a function, a predictive function to calculate the probability that any given HubSpot person was going to succeed and be one of our stars, I, I don't know exactly what the weights are, but what would the coefficients be? What are the kinds of things um, that will likely play into it? Can I figure that out at least, um, in kind of first order? Uh, And so I kind of dug in, got the data from the team. It's like, okay, are you happy at HubSpot? Uh, Why are you happy at HubSpot if you are? And why are you not if you're not? Um, And that was the genesis. Um, So it's kind of started really small as a kind of this internal thing. And I wrote this slide deck, uh, which was 16 slides at the time, uh, called The Culture Code. Uh, And a fun fact about The Culture Code slide, which has since become relatively popular because we've uh, made it public, is that people say, "Oh, it's like a code of conduct thing." The you know the word code, like no. In my mind, the code was like literally, if I can write code to run the company, make all the decisions. Here's the stuff that I would do. To make the heuristics behind how we uh, operate the company. So it's more of an operating system uh, than anything else. But yeah, then it's ever since then, it's um, it's weird because I have no direct reports at HubSpot. Right. It's like I that was one of the early um, kind of founding principles of HubSpot that as, as I would not have direct reports because I I'm just I suck at management. I'm just not good at it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been interesting. So it, it, although I was a unlikely kind of official keeper of HubSpot culture, it's it's worked out pretty well. And it's partly because I'm kind of not I'm outside looking in, but I, I don't have a horse in the race. I'm not part of any particular team. Uh, I can take a more of an engineer and scientist kind of view of it. Um, and it, it's, yeah, so I kind of just see what I get through osmosis from the team and figure it out and then. The culture codes now on version thirty three. We just published an update uh, recently. It's been it's been a fascinating journey. Just uh, yeah, of all the code I've ever written, I'll say this: um, that's likely been the most impactful. Um wow. So it's not the software; it's been that. Uh, that slide deck is, uh, in terms of my contribution to, to HubSpot, um, that's probably number one on the list.
0: That's pretty amazing to say, since you know you were there from the beginning and <laughs> built the platform, but we're in like interesting times right now it's 2020 all sorts of things have going on. How, are, how is the, you know, the current situation with the, you know, the pandemic, uh, with even social unrest, how are all these developments that are taking place right now? Has that had any kind of uh, impact on how you view, you know, things professionally and, and even personally at this point?
1: It has. I mean, it's, had, I think it's had an impact on every, um, every person, every company. Um, you know, from from HubSpot's perspective, uh, you know, one of our core values has always been uh, empathy. And um, if ever there was a time for organizations to have empathy for their people and for the people to have empathy for each other, uh, this has been that year. It's been a very uh, challenging year for so many. Um, and so one of the kind of early decisions we made during the pandemic is that we're going to we're going to lean into that. You know, we've been fortunate in terms of the company's been doing relatively well. We've got a you know, billion dollars on the balance sheet. so it's um, so we can afford to actually kind of ride out the storm, so to speak. So we were um, kind of as empathetic as possible in terms of uh, giving people the flexibility in terms of we, we don't know what people's individual kind of home situations are. They could be parents, they could be taking care of elders. Uh, so that, um, you know, and I give credit to the, the, you know, the people operations team at HubSpot uh, and then Katie Burke, our chief people officer, they've just managed through that um, exceptionally well. And I think that's that's been uh, super important and then the social i mean we've had just so many like 2020 it's like it's almost like the perfect storm like like all the things that could go wrong have been uh you know going wrong worldwide so it's been yeah yeah
0: so also let's just talk about crM i mean let's kind of get into the wheelhouse a little bit sure. uh, yeah. i mean you guys built your 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 interaction platform was marketing and then you built crM and sales and service into it how have you seen CRM evolve since you began HubSpot to where we are today? Some people say uh, the principles haven't really changed. It's just the kind of the the way it's trying to be implemented, the way people are trying to leverage technology. But the philosophies and kind of the foundational aspects, pretty much the same. How do you see it?
1: I, I think that's I think that's mostly true. Right. Um, I mean, customers are customers. I think we are. um as a society, uh, more skeptical of the companies we buy from and the people we do business with. So that's kind of changed the relationship between buyers and sellers, that's changed. But in terms of CRM as an industry, um, you know, I think what's happened is that if you look at kind of first generation Siebel, um, CRM, you know, Siebel and those folks, um, that kind of laid the early groundwork and you have Salesforce for kind of, I'll think of it as generation two. Um, the one thing we've learned though, is that, um, in the early formation of CRM, and it's like, one of the questions I've asked myself is, why are there not more CRM software companies? Uh, Like why, you know, there should be literally hundreds, right? There's hundreds of marketing software apps and and, uh, arguably CRM is much more important. Uh, I think the challenge is that CRM is actually hard um, because the expectations of the industry now uh, versus let's say even 15 years ago, you know, CRM was thought of as a database to keep keep track of your customers. That was a fundamental kind of use case. Like you need a shared database where all your customer data was, And it evolved to a degree that's, okay, well, it's not just individual contacts, but it's also companies and deals and all. But the underlying kind of architecture was relatively straightforward, right? It's like, okay, I've got this database. Um, And what's happened now is that um, in order to really effectively compete in the CRM industry, you can't just be that database. You have to be a platform. Um, And the thing that's becoming clear now is uh, and when most people think of platform, it's like, oh, other people are building on top of it. You have APIs and you can kind of extend it. And that's all very, very true. Uh, But the other part of it is to what degree is the company itself leveraging the platform in terms of are the various kind of software services being used cohesively across the whole thing, right? So it kind of sort of makes sense. Um, And so the way I think about it is at HubSpot, we have this um, term we use called our primary colors. And these are the kind of shared software services that underlie the actual HubSpot platform. Um, And that's been important. So for instance, we started in, in, and marketing, and we had a marketing automation um, application, as, as you would expect. Um, but we we took the word kind of marketing off the front of it. What it really was was an automation system that says, okay, well, you want to be able to do these workflows and to have this branching logic and do these things and send this email out. Awesome. That's great. Um, but automation is actually important in sales. There is such a thing as sales automation that you want to do similar but not the same things. Same thing in the service, right? It's like, oh, if a ticket's been outstanding uh, for more than 90 days, I want to send this series of emails out. I want to escalate. I want like. Like deep down inside, the cement, it's all the same thing. It's all automation. You're taking manual processes that might have happened and you're trying to code software. Uh, and I think what the CRM players have done, um, I think well, is like thinking of that in a broader sense. It's like, yeah, like automation is the same. And HubSpot has definitely thought of it this way, which is once you learn how automation works within HubSpot, it can cascade across all the other kind of groups, right? It works the same way because it's the same software. Um, I think that's helpful. but. So the big shift that we've seen is just like the number of channels, the number of interactions we have with customers is obviously dramatically higher over the last uh, couple of decades. Um, and the other thing is, and this is, I think, the big shift, right, is customer expectations. Back back then, I'll say 20 years ago, CRM, uh, to be doing CRM right, it was a, even though it's considered a front office application because it kind of has got the word customer in it, it was mostly a back office thing. It was a database and the sales reps and the customer team and people would use it but the customers would never really directly interact with it, not in any meaningful way. Uh, Today, most successful businesses um, kind of recognize that every business is a digital business. You have to be online, you have to have a website. uh, If someone has an issue, they have to be able to report, they have to be able to track their order. uh, And so the level of expectations of consumers, the end-to-end customer of what the CRM, they may not even know what a CRM is, but they know (laughs) they want to get the status on their order, that they know, right? Uh, right? And that's the one thing the pandemic has uh, accelerated is that so every I mean, people have known that they need to go digital and do more of that. And they've seen this kind of steady rise in customer expectations. Uh, the pandemic has been kind of a forcing function. It's like, OK, if you were sitting on the sidelines wondering whether you should do this, you are no longer wondering. You can't not be online. Right. Like that just doesn't um, it, it doesn't work. So we, we saw and this is kind of put some winded upspot sales is um, no pun intended. Um, is people are just ready to get something out there like they want their website connected to their CRM connected to like everything has to kind of fit together so we've had our best quarter ever uh last quarter even in the midst of this just because there's this uh higher sense of urgency now
0: but yeah are you uh surprised that some of the the sizes and scales of some of these acquisitions that are taking place in the industry we just you know Salesforce just bought Slack for yeah, like twenty-seven billion dollars, and I think the year before that they bought Tableau for about sixteen billion. And you know, Oracle and Adobe are, are making purchase. SAP, uh, are you surprised at that, or is this something that we're you expect to be kind of status quo for the foreseeable future? I think it's. I think it's. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes we'll have
1: acquisitions that some might argue were you know overpriced or underpriced, but in the overall grand scheme of things, uh, company. You know, the public markets are relatively efficient, um, and. If any individual company was you know, you know, overpaying you know, for a series of companies in a row or whatever, it would impact uh, their individual stock price as, as people lost. At the broad level, I think what's being, what's happening is it's just a reflection of value and opportunity, right? That says, okay, we thought we had seen you know, all this growth in CRM, and there's certainly been growth, and there have been massive companies created in the industry. We're nowhere near done. We haven't scratched the surface. There are millions of companies that would benefit from what we think of as, as a modern CRM now that aren't yet, right? It's like, it's just, it's just not there. Like the pedic- you know, it's, I mean, as proud of as we are of our accomplishments, uh, you know, spot's a reasonably large company now, you know, our market share is still in single digits, right? There's just so much room out there um, to grow because especially in small business, I think the, the thing I get excited about is that um, I think a lot of the big players got a lot of things right um, in terms of CRM and building out the platform and being open and all those things. And those are wonderful. Um, the thing that I think HubSpot's getting right is for the kind of small, and medium-sized business, For if you're a startup or a scale-up, uh, you need something that's simpler. Um, you, so we're trying to democratize, like, stuff that uh, historically only the Fortune 1000 or Fortune 5000 have had access to. We're trying to bring it down. It's like, okay, well, you too, 50-person consulting company, deserve a website that's connected to your CRM, that you have a ticketing system, and people can send you an email to support at acmeconsulting.com, all that is possible today, right? Like we have tools um, and been, yeah. So we just think there's massive opportunity in small business and they would benefit greatly. Uh, they've been kind of kept out of the dance, so to speak. They haven't been invited uh, because it's just been so complicated. Um, and we're, we're trying to change that.
0: What do you think the industry hasn't gotten right so far? What, are you Or are you surprised that it hasn't evolved to the point where it should be when it comes to CRM and particularly when it comes to, you know, customer experience when it comes to actually, you know, building the relationship with the customer?
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think um, part of the issue is, and this is one I'm deeply passionate about, is that the website, which is often the kind of point of contact for most customers with the companies that they deal with, is often this thing that sits off the side that gets updated every now and then, and IT might own it or somebody else might own it, instead a server somewhere, hosted like it's not an integral part uh, of the overall customer experience. So I think one of the things, and this is changing now, is I think like a content management system um, and and your website is an integral part of the customer experience. And In my mind, it's part of CRM, right? Like you don't have a digital experience without the primary channel that your customers are going to experience you uh, being this kind of disconnected thing that, you know, every now and then you maintain an update. Like it has to be kind of all together. And so that's why partly we're making a, a big investment in trying to make uh, a CMS that is not about building websites, but it's about delivering digital experiences. That's part of the overall kind of CRM, uh, CRM platform.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think if, if you thought about CRM from the customer's perspective, things would be a little different than it is from the, like you said, it was built on that foundation of managers wanting to know what sales prospects with the forecast. Not as much of really what do the customers need? What kind of experiences do they want to stay on board? Yeah, I, not, I hope we're getting to that part. Yeah,
1: I, I, I I'll give the industry credit. We are um, collectively recognizing kind of customer needs and the fact that you know this is what they want. Uh, we're delivering with varying levels of uh, um, progress, but I mean I think the sentiment is definitely there, and it's, uh, and I think you know it's and it's partly driven by uh, kind of the B two C market, right? Like I. It, you know, so overall, I think we kind of steadily moved in the, in the right direction, uh, albeit slower than some would like. Uh, but B2B has been even slower, right? Like some of the B2C companies, that's they kind of grew up with that and grew up with the Internet. has been around for a long time. But B2B companies still often are it's like, okay, well, I'm going to email you this PDF and you can like review the pricing proposal and then scan it and sign it. And they're like, okay, no, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense, right? Like there's no, there's no customer on the planet that wants that experience. Um, so I think we're we need to get better faster. Up, uh, that's I think there's still massive opportunity for uh, improving customer experience, for making things more efficient, um, and getting more companies to, to participate in this new kind of digital economy.
0: Hey, do you mind taking uh, maybe one or two questions? Because there's some really yeah. interesting ones Absolutely that I think are right up your alley here. here's one from Seshu Kumar Loka. I hope I'm saying your name right, but Darmesh, great to be hearing you live. Would you? would like to know what is your scale-up advice, what would you ask someone to focus on?
1: So a couple of things, it depends on what level of scale-up. But the the thing that, and this is not just from HubSpot, I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs um, you know, over the course of my professional career. The best scale-ups are the ones that are like maniacally obsessed with the customer and their problems. It's like, okay, and, and not obsessed with their particular solution, right? So uh, if you look at it from HubSpot's perspective, um, yep, we did pretty well in the marketing business and the, and the company and it grew and, and scaled. But the thing we really realized, right, is like, okay, well, and we were attached to this kind of startup and scale up community and, and small businesses, but it's like, okay, we hadn't really solved the full problem. It's like marketing was a piece of it. And so we didn't shy away from it. It's like, okay, well, here's the thing they actually need um, in order to do the things we know they, they need to be doing. So my kind of somewhat tried advice would be like spend a lot of time with customers, dig deep into the actual issues they have Uh, don't get overly attached to your particular solution right now because that that can and probably will change um, in terms of what uh, you know what technologies or what kinds of things you're doing but the problems don't change that often Uh, the things that customers are trying to do is actually a relatively slow moving thing Uh, so that's an easier thing to kind of grasp but um, startups often is because they become too infatuated with what they're doing and the product they're building Uh, and i'm you know as an engineer i can kind of speak to that but it's uh get obsessed with your customers instead
0: Awesome. Here's another one from uh, my buddy Anand Taker. Thoughts on the future of e-commerce in the SMB startup scene? Yeah. Hi, Anand. Uh, good to see it. Um, I think we've just seen
1: the beginning of it, right? So we have uh, e-commerce, um, you know, made made popular now by companies like Shopify, which is an amazing company. Uh, but in the same way that e-commerce drove, you know, ten years ago, a lot of the kind of expectations and the evolution of, of, of the B two B side of things, uh, we're going to see the same on on uh, with respect to e-commerce now. So it's it's not going anywhere. Yes, it got accelerated by the pandemic, but we're not going to wake up someday after the vaccines are out and everyone's kind of doing a lot better and say, oh yeah, I want to go back to the old ways of like shopping and doing business and things like that. It, that's just not going to happen. That world is not, is not coming back. So I think it creates massive opportunities across the board. So you thought marketing was interesting back in uh, 2006 when HubSpot got started and we see the MarTech landscape from Scott Brinker. We're going to see something awfully, awfully similar to that. I think over the next decade uh, in in e-commerce, broadly speaking.
0: Okay, here's one from a a buddy of mine who's Boston-based. He wants to ask what he thinks is the most he, apparently he didn't catch the beginning of the show so, yeah, yeah. so Bob I have got to ding you on that one. Uh what's his favorite football team? I'll tell you who it is cuz this is Bob, he's a Boston yeah. guy. He's like Halligan, he's all in on all Boston sports. So I know what he's getting at because he knows I have an issue with the Patriots particularly. Right, Guess so what I'm, Bob? He doesn't have a favorite.
1: <laughs> I don't. Uh, I've a uh, fun fact, I've never been to a football game. I've watched one Super Bowl game. Uh Back way back when I don't know. Anyway, so I'm not a sports guy. Sorry, I have to take a pass on
0: that one. <laughs> All right. Back. And this yeah. is just Yeah. Don't worry about Bob. <laughs> He'll get over it. And uh this is just a good comp listening to customer is important right in the time for the pandemic. What have you changed in this direction since COVID-19?
1: A couple things. So as soon as COVID hit, uh one of the first things we did was uh, asked ourselves as a, as a leadership team, like, what can we do to help? Like, what's the thing that we can do to help, uh, because we're in the small business, uh, small business world. And so what we did tactically was we said, okay, here, um, a bunch of features that are in our paid version. We're going to bring them down to the free version, um, for X period of time. So people can kind of respond to emails and do the things that we knew were common to do uh, during the pandemic. That was one, uh, we brought some of our pro level features down to the kind of starter, which was a much more affordable price. We took the price of that product down uh, by about 50-ish percent. Uh, we did cash advances for some of our partners um, that says, hey, we know you're going to make this up or whatever. We're going to pay you for your commissions that you we know you're going to make over the next 90, 120 days, and we're going to cut you that check. We wired that money within 72 hours of making that decision. I was quite proud of the team, just the logistics of that. Um, but it's just a, a recognition, I guess, that um, companies were going through a hard time. Um, and it was funny because as a technologist, I'm like, oh, like what do we need to build in order to make this? And the thing that came back, you know, in talking to our customers and partners was it wasn't about building more things; it was about making things more accessible and easy, and kind of just so they could kind of get started with it. Um, so yeah, those are changes. And as far as the company itself, um, we leaned into empathy. Um, it's like, okay, everyone's dealing with a tough times; shut the office down; let people choose. Um, and that's you know one of the things we've put into place longer term now, going into 2021. Is giving every all 4,000 employees the option of whether they work uh, full-time out of an office, uh, flex time two or three days a week out of an office, or go fully remote um, because everyone's situation has just been impacted is different.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I, I love leading with empathy, and uh, customers respect you and will stay with you if when the chips are down for them, you're there for them. When yeah. there are good times, you'll, you they're going to stick with you, but it, it's all about what happens when I need you. And if you could prove that you care beyond the transaction, you've got them for life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that's, I think, really super important um, on, on the empathy thing is that I think we would all recognize that, you know, the people are the most important thing. So, if, you know, we would not be able to deliver the product or have the growth or have the amount of success we've had without the, the people that work at HubSpot. Well, the, the truth is the best people um, like to see that empathy and like to see that obsession with the customer or whatever. So um, it's great that our customers will stay with us. Is equally important that uh, the people that we have on the HubSpot team is like, that's the kind of company I, I can see myself working for long-term. That's the kind of company I'm going to re- recommend to my friends and family to kind of join. It's like, this is the best place ever. And that's probably as impactful as any other thing we could do in HubSpot is to make sure uh, that great people join um, and stay at HubSpot.
0: Yeah, that's, that is That is so true. Sometimes we, we kind of think about, you know, the the, purely on the customer side, but the employee experience, I mean, they want to have pride to in where they're working. They want to be able to walk around and say, yeah, I do walk, work for you know HubSpot. And I'm proud of it. That makes them want to stay around longer. You know, that's that's great stuff. Yeah. Um I don't Conan Regu. I hope I once again I apologize if I'm not getting your name correctly. But what was your biggest hurdle in driving growth in very early stage of HubSpot and what strategy did you apply?
1: Okay. Let's uh lots of lots of obstacles uh, i'll start with a couple of the higher order ones one was um just convincing the world um that we were right right it's like okay you should be doing this inbound marketing thing you should be blogging you should be kind of shifting your marketing budget dollars because it was a relatively new idea uh, 14 years ago um so that's one number two raising capital was actually um harder than one would have thought you know brian and i had kind of both done things before we would have thought okay well we're kind of knowing the boston community it's like it's not it shouldn't be that hard it was hard Um, and HubSpot's, you know, by design, not the kind of company that was meant to be bootstrapped. It was the kind of company that was going after high growth. Uh, When Brian and I started, we decided we are going to swing for the fences, so to speak. Um, That's two sports metaphors from a non-sports guy. But um, so the hardest thing (laughs) is that as a SaaS company, the price points were so low um, that just like getting the growth and getting that curve to move forward is just so small. So it's just hard to, and so we were, you know burning cash month after month um and then the fact this is the weird thing about saas is that you know all your marketing and sales expenses to acquire a customer occur up front right if you're trying to get them you're trying to do whatever you do to kind of get them and the payment comes up over time right in the enterprise software world it's like you sold a customer and they paid you half a million dollars and you were profitable from like week one right. that's not the way it works in SaaS, uh, especially for early stage uh, companies and so the weird mathematical dynamic was the faster we were growing the more cash we burned which is kind of paradoxical, right? It's like, okay, then we'd have to explain that. It's like, okay, well, you guys are growing, but then you're burning even more cash than you were burning before, like what's up? And that continued, right? All the way up until um, our IPO. But I mean, the economics made sense if you knew what was going on behind the scenes, but that was relatively new back then. So that was, um, but it's just the blocking and tackling. It's like, there was no Monday morning where HubSpot, where the HubSpot founders woke up and said, oh my God, everything went up by 4X yesterday. We don't know why it was a, (laughs) Grind it out, slog it out, customer after customer. You know, uh, it was a very smooth curve in terms of the growth curve, but it was a slow curve. It takes a while. Um, so, you, if you're doing a startup, you have to be in it for for the long game. Like it's uh, it, it's mm-hmm. not going to work. It's it's always going to take you longer. Uh, overnight successes take about seven years. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: one last question from Alan here. At what? At well, let me post it here at what did you and Brian say, hey, we got something here and it's going to be big. Uh,
1: One of those points, I'll talk about the earliest one because it it was the most telling. Um, So we were in the SaaS business um, and selling on a monthly subscription basis. And the first evidence, right? And so we sold, um, this is one that might, if I had three pieces of advice to give entrepreneurs, one would be kind of sell the product early and sell it often, right? So a lot of, Entrepreneurs make this. It's like, oh well, the product's in early beta, so I'm not. I don't feel good like charging for it, and that's going to reduce my thing. I'm trying to, you know, build like the next Facebook or something like that. It's like all fine, but if you're looking for evidence that a market exists, the only reliable evidence that a market exists is to actually try to sell customers and see if a market exists, right? Like they get, and uh, and so even when the product was in late alpha, early beta, uh, we picked a price point. We didn't overthink it, um, and we started selling it. So evidence number one, that we might be onto something is people bought it. Like shocking, holy crap, people are like willing to pay us money. (laughs) Um, But here's the, the bigger proof point. And so, and we intentionally said, we're only gonna do month to month contracts because the data in terms of, we want every single month, we want every single customer to be making the choice whether they continue to pay us. So you could not buy an annual contract with HubSpot back then because the data was just so integral. So the thing that convinced us that we might be onto something is that despite the fact that that early product sucked, Customers continued to renew and didn't, you know, we didn't get to have a 90% cancellation rate or something like that. And the product would go down, like they were just, it was early stage software. And so it's like, okay, the pain is acute enough and we're making enough progress that customers are staying for the most part. Um, Hmm. That was the thing. It's like, okay, if we just keep doing this, uh, I think we'll be onto something big. So we just kept making the product better and and just selling more customers and just kept going.
0: Absolutely. Now, Alan was uh, mentioned a little earlier that it's, it's rather poignant that the, there's a, a picture or a portrait of John Lennon in the background. So I, I'm guessing that means I was kind of right about this being the 40th anniversary. So what did, what does Lennon mean to you? What Why is he hanging up there and right above your fireplace? Um, a couple of things behind that, behind that painting. Um,
1: so I'm, the idea of Lennon, the ideas he kind of spounded, like especially in this time and day, it's like, okay, it's like peace and harmony, are something that are just completely core to who I am. It's uh, the live and let live, like, why can't we all get along? What's, you know, um, you know the world should be a better place than it is. Um, so that's part of it. I just like the idea of John Lennon. Uh, I've been trying to teach myself piano, um, so I've been getting into music more. Um I've never played Western music before. I've, uh, I have can play by ear a little bit, uh, that's part of it. And then that particular painting uh, was by a local artist here in the Boston area that I've met uh, named Jack Moorfield. And he, and you can't see it at this particular angle, but the painting's actually constructed as like a pointillism style pointing where they're all tiny little, like tiny little circles and swirls. So it's not like there's no lines at all in the entire painting. So if you step up close to it, you can see that it's formed by all these little things. And that to me has a larger message as well. It's like, everything, everybody's actually a constitution of like a, it looks like this. Oh, there's his face. When you get really up close to it uh, at a, a micro wow. Yeah. Anyway, that's
0: is very cool. So what's going to happen when this is going to be the final question? Cause I, am just appreciative of your time, but I got to ask you, what do you see after we're finally past the pandemic? What, what do you expect in terms of uh, you know, companies, customer expectations, digital transformation, what do you see happening immediately after and what are the long-term effects of that immediate reaction?
1: Yeah. Well, the immediate, I think just as for humanity at large, right, this will be, um, you know, it's the worst thing we've experienced in our lifetime collectively as a, as a species. Um, and so just to be able to breathe a sigh of relief, right. That says, okay, well, Mm. we've got this under control because right now, it's scary, right? It's scary everywhere. Like it's, you know, varying degrees, but it's like super scary, Uh, scariest thing we've ever encountered. So that's number one is I look forward to just not, just not being this kind of constant level of anxiety of varying levels. And I think what that does is that frees up um, people to start thinking about the future again, start saying, it's like, okay, well, we're kind of through that. Uh, You know, our adrenaline levels can kind of go back down and we can say, okay, Let's start, not that you've stopped thinking about customers, obviously intensifies the focus on, on, on the business if you're um, you know, in a business, but so that'll be the first thing is I think we'll all heave a collective sigh of relief. Uh, and my hope is that, I'm the optimist, right? The eternal optimist is that um, in many ways, and yes, we've had social distancing and we've been separated and that's been hard, uh, but my personal experience, it's also have actually brought us closer together. Um, so I know mm-hmm. people within HubSpot now that I normally wouldn't have interacted with because everybody's remote all everybody's working from you know, uh, from home right now and so we can be more inclusive in our meetings we just had our first virtual event you know inbound um, and so i think we've kind of learned a, i'm not saying that you know zoom is going to replace you know for all eternity how how we meet and things like that but it's an important you know having that tool set in our is like it's important it's nice to be able to get together virtually and still be effective right not to say there's not value to getting together in person. So I think that's the other thing. I think we'll be better businesses and better people having been shaped by the pandemic and, and no one wishes for a global pandemic, but I think uh, I think we're going to emerge stronger personally.
0: That's great. That's great. And I really appreciate this great conversation. And let me do a shout out to one of your uh, folks who kind of came on board recently, Scott Wilder. He's a buddy of mine, known him since his days at uh, Intuit. Man, that was a long time ago but he's a great guy. And I want to shout yeah. out him and that's a great hire for you guys, by the way. Thank was, so
1: yeah. I love but,
0: uh, thanks again, man, for t- making time. This has been great. And Anand, we did talk about the culture stuff earlier. So why don't you check out the replay and you, you'll get his thoughts on that and why it was important for, for him to do it and the way he did it. It's really fascinating stuff. But Darmesh, thanks again for your time, man. And let's make sure. D- d- well, do you think this was a, a decent, Uh, experience? Because I know you don't like doing a lot of this stuff, but do you think you might want to do more of these things in the future? With you, yes, Brent. Uh, I'll say this. My
1: issue is not, once I'm on, I can kind of sort of forget the camera and we can just have a conversation. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. like 3 a.m. last night, I kid you not, I'm curled up in the fetal position knowing that I have this coming up, right? So actually public speaking, not that big of an issue for me. Honestly, I can do it. Like I can put sentences together by forming words and stuff. I can do that. Uh, it's all the time leading up to that actual <laughs> thing. Uh, so if someone like, shook me in the middle of the afternoon and like, darn do, like, do this? That might actually be preferable to having to kind of prepare for something and uh, and stress that over. It. Anyway, but thanks for having me. It. Is- <laughs> it was an enjoyable experience, I will put it to you that way.
0: Oh, thank you very much. And you're great on screen. And wow, I bet it's probably harder for you to do this stuff than it is to build a company like HubSpot, which is kind of funny, but I appreciate you doing this All the same. Thanks again. And let's talk sooner rather than later. Take care. Thank
1: you.